Thanks for joining us again. So glad that you're here. So today we start a new series. It's called Real Life, uh, Living to the Fullest. And here's what it, it spawns from. Uh, you know, many of us believe in Jesus. Some of us are just beginning that journey, kind of exploring who is Jesus and what would it look like to follow him. Far too often in Christian history, uh, belief or faith in Jesus has been far removed from the ways we live and engage. Uh, you know, it's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus. It's a whole nother thing to ask questions of what does it look like to live as a Jesus follower? And, and so we wanted to begin the series and, and speak really practically to the subjects of what transforms inside of me when I take, accept Jesus into my heart, when, when I, when I choose his way and his path, how does that look in our lives? What, what changes? What does he begin to transform in us? What's our part in this process? Um, how does being a follower of Jesus affect the way I interact with my spouse or the people around me? You know, what is Jesus inviting me into in this world in which I live? And so we, we begin the series Real Life. A, a majority of it is going to come from the book of James. In the book of James, he hits on a number of major subjects. Uh, today we're going to talk about wisdom. Uh, next week we'll be talking about suffering. We'll speak about wealth. We'll talk about um, taking action, engaging our faith. We'll talk about our speech, the, the ways we communicate. We'll talk about prayer. And finally, we'll talk about family. And, and so those are the, the pieces that we're going to hit on, some of those major things in life. And uh, James uh, addresses six of those seven subjects in his book. The book of James uh, will begin in James chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, Greetings is how he begins this book. Now, uh, that might sound pretty ordinary as a greeting, as a letter that James is writing to the people, but in fact, when you know who James is, it's quite extraordinary. You see, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now, there is some question among scholars whether James wrote this or someone else put on, pay, put on paper and sent to the churches his primary teachings, uh, but the book is accredited to James and the teachings of uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus. So uh, Jesus, the firstborn to a virgin Mary, is, is the story that the Bible tells, uh, had a number of other children, James being one of them. And I was thinking this week as I was considering this man James and the things he writes here, he calls him the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Those are pretty powerful words to say of a brother, right? It would probably be pretty challenging to come to that place and conclusion. And in fact, it was for James. I wonder what growing up was like. Um, I, I'm the oldest child, and so I don't have a lot of uh, experience or knowledge of what it's like to be a younger brother. Um, but Jesus being perfect, I wonder if it was different, right, growing up. Like, he never got to shoot his brother with a BB gun, I guess. Uh, he never fed his brother dog food for cereal. Like, he never got to do any of the awesome things that older brothers get to do, right? Um, so, so. Those sound like real examples. <laughs> those, those, those are real things, yeah. Yeah, those are, those are both real things. 
but I won't go into any more detail on him. Yeah, imagine the complex of a younger brother named James uh, whose older brother gets to claim uh, that God is my father. Not like literally, right? Uh, you got this dad, he's an okay carpenter, but my dad, he's God, right? I mean, there's just a lot of uh, superiority and potential for some interesting dynamics. And in fact, in the book of John, um, he indicates uh, that his, his brothers were, his family was at times offended by Jesus as he was operating, as he was healing, as he was teaching, as he was beginning to make these claims of his identity and who he was. His family was at times offended by, by him and, and actually tried to come and corral him and bring him back home, right? Uh, it said that he didn't believe his claims. James struggled with believing his claims uh, t- about Jesus' identity. And yet, in the book of Acts, we see James, the half-brother of Jesus, after Jesus' death and resurrection that we spoke about last week, uh, leading the first Christian church in the world there in Jerusalem. The, the pastor of this budding and growing new movement that was Christianity, James, the brother of Jesus, who struggled to believe and understand, was now leading this cause that Jesus had died for and risen from the dead. And so we see that, that James played a central role in the church as it began to expand. James lived um, through about 60 AD when he faced martyrdom, like most of those who believed and taught the resurrection. Um, you know, you, you wonder, what would it take for, for someone like James to, to commit their lives so fully to this cause that they were willing to die for it, literally in this era? in this age, Um, and I have to pin it solely on resurrection, right? What what, what was that turning point in James' life from skeptical and holding back? Uh, We we read that he he, uh, was likely there at the cross as Jesus died with his mother, and at that point, all, all hope must have been lost. All those confirmations and frustrations as a child must have come to fruition, become reality in his mind as, as he's like, yeah, he was, he was crazy, right? But to see his brother risen from the dead, to witness resurrection changed everything for James. And so he lived his life leading the church, this new movement that had begun Right, So James, he wrote very practically. As a pastor there in Jerusalem, um, they were struggling through all sorts of issues and challenges. They were under Roman rule. Uh, They're dealing with uh, the Israelite nation. They're dealing with Rome. They're dealing with the, the, the beginnings of Gentile other nations coming in to be a part of this Christianity. James faced all sorts of things. And so he taught regularly. He was a wise, wise teacher and leader. And what we have here in the book of James that we'll be studying for the next few weeks is, um, is his teachings. Now, the, the skeptical side of us would say this was written 2,000 years ago to a Jewish church in Jerusalem, you know, at the very beginning of Christendom. You know, how much could this really relate to me in the 21st century? And I want to invite all of us, uh, whether we're new to faith and Christianity or been following Jesus for, for many years of our lives, 
to open our ears and our eyes and our heart to, uh, to listen for what James has for followers of Jesus. We have that in common. I believe 2,000 years later, nothing is new, right? Technology might be different. Uh, there's, there's been advancements and changes, but let's be honest, nothing's new. Uh, we have many of the same struggles and thought processes, many of the same uh, just real-world challenges that they had then. So we'll listen to the words of James, written 2,000 years ago, and explore what does he have for me today. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Let's talk a little bit about wisdom. It's kind of kind of sending and rude, right? If you lack wisdom, I mean, let's do a raise of hands. I'm not very smart, right? No, let's not do that. I'm just kidding. Here's the reality. Um, many of the wisest people know their lack of understanding and wisdom. Isn't that true? The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And so James, speaking to his people, he says, there is a source of wisdom that is God. Now, now let's talk about this idea of wisdom for just a minute. Wisdom defined simply the ability uh, to think and act with knowledge, experience, understanding, common sense, and insight. So wisdom wraps into it the experiences of life, the understandings that we have, the insights that we've been given, and the knowledge that we have. Now sometimes in the English language we we would risk like using in the same way the words wisdom or knowledge. But, but wisdom and information are two different things. Um, uh, read a, uh, some really interesting articles by R.L. Acuff. Has anyone ever heard of R.L. Acuff? He um, was a brilliant man who studied and developed and spoke on like org- organizational theory, uh, system sciences, management science, and uh, spoke a lot to our education systems and how maybe they ought to be structured. He said this, he said, one ounce of information is worth a pound of data. So, so from all the data collected, we're going to talk just about like knowledge and, and information for just a moment. Um, from all the data collected from say a poll or a survey or a scientific study, he says an ounce of information pulled from all that data is worth all the data, right? Uh, an ounce of knowledge is worth a pound of information. So to actually know something based upon the information that you found uh, well, well, is of immense value. And finally, he says, an ounce of understanding is worth a pound of knowledge, right? So he goes from data to information to knowledge to understanding, seeking understanding, right? It goes beyond raw facts. It goes beyond what can be put on a spreadsheet. Now we have, uh, now we have understanding, something that can begin to shape. Um, he, he said, it, in, intelligence is the ability to increase efficiency. But here's where he gets to wisdom. He said, but wisdom is the ability to increase effectiveness, We begin to take the data and the information and the understandings that we've developed, and wisdom says, let's pool all that and let it begin to guide us towards something 
a little bit different than we've known. He spoke a lot to the educational systems and processes, and he said the educational process uh, should allow as much time to the development and exercise of wisdom as it does to the development and exercise of intelligence. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I, I'm not here to take a stand on that, but he says um, giving our children just raw data and just information to be memorized falls short of shaping individuals to operate in a society, in a place, right? Now, I think there's a perfectly fair argument to say, well, isn't that our job in the home? Is the educational system expected to do all those things, right? And, and, and so I don't know that I uh, agree with Acoff on this, but what he brings to the table is a really interesting conversation. Information alone doesn't do it in this world. We need wisdom. We need to take the information, the knowledge, the experiences we have, and move beyond that towards this place of wisdom that begins to shape the way we operate in the world. The Hebrew word uh, for wisdom was, uh, was hokmah, and it, it it, it resonated to people as a classroom setting, and yet a classroom setting that was maybe significantly different. Uh, it, it, uh, the word hokmah spoke to this God-given intelligence to pursue inside a knowledge, um, the inside a knowledge that we need to negotiate life in the public square. So, so that's kind of uh, when, when, when his original audience was hearing this word wisdom, they were thinking, yeah, it's a classroom setting, but it's designed to provide information so that people can operate in a proper way in the world around them. So James said, if anyone lacks wisdom, that's me, maybe, maybe that's all of us, to ask God who gives generously. In James chapter 3, he's going to go further into this subject. Read it with me. Uh, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For, um, uh, for where you have envy and selfish ambition... There you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. He said, if you have any wisdom, let it show in your good deeds done in humility. In fact, he said, um, the humility that comes from wisdom. Wisdom propels us to do good things, to do right things, to, to, to be good people, right? To, to, to act in certain ways in our communities and in the lives of others. And those deeds are done in humility, born of that same wisdom that is propelling us into it. 
See the text here, what, what James is going to do for us is he's going he's to contrast uh, the humility that comes from wisdom and, and the selfish ambition or the pride and the arrogance that comes from another type of wisdom, uh, the, the kind of wisdom that the world pushes towards us. You've just got to be more successful. It's okay to put your family on hold while you pursue your career because I, I'll be able to give them more in the long run, right? These are the kinds of thought processes or whatever that, that, that might say, or, or I just want to be at the top of my company, right? I, I, just, I just want to be the best. I want that position. But James speaks of, of another kind of wisdom, a heavenly wisdom, deeds done in humility that comes from that wisdom, a good life lived well in front of people. This is what James speaks of as wisdom. Have you ever known that person, right? that, that person that possesses that humble, quiet wisdom? I think of my grandfather, Henry, um, he was, a, he was a, a preacher, a pastor for many years. His wife worked in the school district. I remember most of the year, most days of the school year, him walking her to school. How far was it? I don't know, a mile, mile, yeah, mile and a half or something. Uh, each morning, walking her there and walking home. At the end of the day, walking there and walking back with her. Uh, he, he had this gentleness and just quietness about him that, that deserved respect, that made you want to listen. He was a man that, that, for me, possessed this kind of wisdom and humility that James is inviting us to. And then on the flip side of it, you've probably known those people so full of information or self-ambition that it's just hard to have a conversation, right? But tons of information without wisdom and the ability to communicate, right? And without the humility to listen well we communicate with others, right? James speaks of this wisdom that comes from heaven. And he describes it in this way in verse 17. He said, it's first of all pure, then peace-loving. It's considerate, submissive full of mercy and good fruit. Let's pause there. Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. Whatever, whatever each of us came here for today, I want to resonate on those words, and I want to invite us to a really practical thought uh, of how wisdom might play out in our, week, in, in our lives in the week to come. Who's the closest people in your life? It's likely a spouse or your children. Not in all cases. It might be um, uh, friends, a neighbor, or a coworker. But he speaks here of being considerate, submissive, and full of mercy. And, and as I pause there, I, I remember the previous week of my life and the moments where I was less than considerate or less than submissive. And I think he lays out for us this, this beautiful, this beautiful picture of what this wisdom of God does in our lives as we learn to be, as we choose to be, as we strive for the ability to be considerate, even submissive like Jesus had demonstrated, to show mercy and and to bear good fruit. This speaks of spiritual fruit. Also, we read of uh, the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And, and, and this speaks to that, 
That as we learn to live considerate and submissive lives, the fruits of the Spirit begin to grow and blossom in our lives. So for those closest to us, we consider things like considerate, submissive, merciful, uh, bearing good fruit in the lives of others, in our lives and impacting others with it. But as we look outside our closest circles, he speaks of this wisdom from heaven that will, that will enable us to be impartial and sincere in the relationships that we have with people that we come in contact with. I think he lays out a beautiful picture of what it looks like to live out this wisdom that that comes from heaven. And you'll notice it twice in the latter part of that passage. He speaks of peace. Uh, He says, this wisdom that comes from heaven is peace-loving. I don't know how many of you were hippies uh, back in the day. Uh, they, They had something, right? Yeah, right? They had something right about all this. Uh, maybe I am in heart because there's nothing I desire more than to know a world, a community, you know, the Tri-Cities, a world in which we loved peace more than we loved being right. We loved peace more than we loved fighting for the things that we think we deserve. I love this idea of a wisdom that promotes peace, that loves peace and strives for that above all things. And he finishes the passage again. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What we sow into this world will be what we receive back. That makes perfect sense in farming terms. And I think it makes a lot of sense on the subject of wisdom, pursuing peace. And it doesn't just, though it certainly applies to wars and politics and the decisions we make and the ways we vote, it also applies to the way we engage with people around us. Do you find yourself ever just combative in the, in the way you communicate with people around you? He invites us to know a wisdom from God that is peaceful. That as we sow that, that peaceful uh, intent, peaceful speech into this world, we will receive back that kind of peace and those sorts of things. As an example, and, and I'll be brief on, on this, but in, in the pursuit of narrative. There's a man named Solomon in Scripture. You can read about it later in Second Chronicles chapter one. Solomon was the son of David, uh, maybe the greatest king in in Israel's history. David was a man after God's own heart who made mistakes but pursued God, and God blessed the nation and the things that David did. And Solomon, his son, steps into those very big shoes, unable to imagine how will I fill the shoes of King David. And so God came to him, and he said, well, well ask me what you need. Ask for it, and I'll give it to you. Solomon responds, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? He says, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead. That's his request, right? And, and, and God comes back and he says, hey, since your heart's desire was not wealth or possessions or honor or a long life or the death of your enemies, right? All things that a king could quite easily ask for and pursue. God says, since your desire was wisdom and knowledge, 
I'll give you all of these things as well. I will bless you. You see, uh, we see in here incredible blessing that comes from pursuing God's ways and God's will. Instead of asking something personal, remember James spoke of selfish ambition and envy that often drive us in this world. Instead of asking for those things, Solomon is the man who said, God, just give me wisdom. Give me wisdom and knowledge. And I wonder what our lives look like if we begin to pray for that kind of wisdom and knowledge, if we begin to ask of those same things. I've heard it said that wisdom can result in wealth, like in the story of Solomon, wisdom can result in in wealth, but no wealth has ever bought wisdom. Wisdom can result in wealth, but no wealth has ever bought wisdom. This is something that God has blessed us with and will continue to bless us with increasingly should we ask for wisdom. God, teach me how to walk in this world. God, teach me to be more like your son. God, give me knowledge. Give me wisdom is a beautiful prayer. So we start here in the beginning of James, chapter 1, verse 5, and then in chapter 3 as he goes further, because as we continue this series, we're going to be talking about how wisdom speaks into suffering. We're going to talk about how wisdom speaks into wealth. We're going to talk about how wisdom speaks into taking action in the world around us. We're going to speak of how wisdom transforms the way we communicate. We're, we're going to talk about how wisdom uh, plays in to prayer and why prayer is vital in this journey. And we're going to talk about how wisdom speaks to our families and to our relationships. Here's where I leave us today then. Will we be those people that seek the wisdom of God, who use our intellect, our experiences, our insights to guide a life lived well? Will we be those people who live out the wisdom that God is blessing us with? And just to be really practical as I close, I'd like to challenge us to two things. First, let's, let's pray this week for wisdom. Let's pray that God would bless us with wisdom and knowledge that allows us to interact differently, to live differently, to be different, right? God bless us with that wisdom. And secondly, uh, think of a practical way that you can exercise wisdom. Remember, James gave us a picture of what wisdom looks like lived out in life. Uh, Choose peace in a conversation this week. Be considerate or, or submissive in a way that you find challenging to do, right? These are the things that we're praying for. These are the things that we're attempting to implement, to, to, to live out in our lives. Uh, what does it look like? A practical way. Uh, choose impartiality. Engage in conversation with someone that you wouldn't have otherwise. Choose mercy when you're wronged in the week to come. Choose sincerity in the way we engage with people. So let's be this week praying for wisdom, and let's be practicing wisdom this week, learning to live out the blessed way that God has invited us to live. Let's pray together as we close. Father God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for James. And Father, wisdom is a somewhat abstract concept. 
Father, make it real to us in the days and the weeks to come. Father, when our instincts and our selfish desires begin to crop up in life, Father, I pray that you will remind us of a wisdom that comes from you, that loves peace, that transforms lives, that invites us to be merciful and submissive and considerate. Father, I pray that you will give us wisdom in the weeks to come. I pray that you will open our eyes to the ways wisdom can be and is lived out. It's in his name we pray. Amen.